Hi, I'm Graham. And I'm Chris. And we're back, 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 as Smash Hits used to say, with more in-depth Pet Shop Boys podcasts for Pet Shop Boys fans all over the world. Graham and I met for the first time at the beginning of the year when Graham reached out across the internet with a crazy idea for two Pet Shop Boys fans who had never presented anything before to come together to fill a glaring Pet Shop Boys shaped hole in the podcast market. And so In-Depth was born, so named to give us licence to delve deep into Pet Shop Boys history to unearth those stories and memories which mean so much to us all. Thanks to listener donations, we've now got our own recording gear so we no longer have to bother the nice people at Huddersfield University. Instead, we've set up in Chris's garden shed, with our microphones nestled between the bikes and the lawnmower. Not Chris Lowe's garden shed, obviously. That would be ridiculous. And illegal. Yes, and illegal. So you can think of this as our self-produced reissue, a bit like Relentless. Except we've only been away for three months, rather than 30 years. United by a shared love of one band, can two amateurs like us produce a podcast befitting the world's greatest synth-pop duo? There's only one way to find out. So Chris, we're back and we start season two with quite a surprise. Relentless being reissued after 30 years. Now, I do remember us making a case for a reissue back in episode two of this podcast. Well, I think you did. I think I wanted it to have some sort of protected status, Uh, some sort of AOMB. (laughs) Not so much an area of natural beauty, but an album of natural beauty. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, we're democratic and we put it to the vote on our socials. 57% agreed with you. Agreed that that it should be reissued. That it should be reissued, yeah. Small amount, but uh, it is the majority. So when we got the news late in September, it meant we had to throw our podcast plans out the window because we certainly had to mark this moment and celebrate this reissue. Now, I can't remember Pet Shop Boys ever marking an anniversary before. It's just not the kind of thing that they normally do, is it? The whole looking back thing. But I'm really glad that they have. Well, it certainly came out of the blue. I mean, especially considering that we'd had the big singles reissue with Smash in June. Mm. So for those that aren't aware, Relentless was only previously available as one part of the very Relentless limited edition double CD, which was released back in 1993. And of course, on that very limited promo vinyl edition that was released to DJs. So even though I have some reservations about the release, it is great to have it as a standalone release. And it certainly deserves to be considered as an album in its own right. Yeah, I think it does. And I guess we can now consider that there are officially 15 Pet Shop Boys studio albums rather than 14. 12 were released on Parlophone. But do we file it under 1993 or 2023? Well, of course, you've got a much stricter filing system (laughs) than I have. I guess it depends on whether or not it's taking the position of the sixth album released or the 15th. But, I mean, it has to be the 15th, doesn't it? Otherwise, it changes all the positions yeah. of all the other albums. So for me, I think you should be filing it under 2023. Oh, it is a 1993 <laughs> piece of work, though, isn't it? I don't think my head can quite cope with that. I'm going to have to keep it where it is, I think. <laughs> well, a little fact for you. It replaces Hotspot as the shortest of all the albums. Yeah, It's 37 minutes, which is five minutes shorter than Hotspot. So let's hope that's not a trend with the new album. <laughs> those are both quite short albums, aren't yeah. they? It's surprising. But putting those reservations and filing issues to one side, it'd be great to have a remastered version, a remastered version of Relentless. I see from the credits it's been remastered by Andy Baldwin at Metropolis Studios. He's got quite a pedigree. He also mastered such seminal releases as the first three Oasis albums. Maybe just the first two Oasis albums (laughs) and seminal releases. Also, he's done music for Robbie Williams, Blur, Elton John, 
He's mastered Pet Shop Boys as well. He did the Dreamland single. Also, My Beautiful Laundrette soundtrack as well. So everything crossed was set for something that's going to sound quite spectacular. Yeah, and it will be great to finally have it on streaming services yeah. as well. If only so that you can add the songs uh, to your episode playlist that you yes. meticulously create. That's right. Uh, I recently listened to that My Beautiful Laundrette soundtrack on a proper stereo, and it sounded great. So I have to say it's really encouraging that he's doing that. Now, back in 1993, when they were first ready and very for release, they said that they'd also recorded a second six-track album at the same time. So this is when they first revealed that Relentless was coming our way. Apparently it was recorded in just three weeks. Uh, Chris was very clear that this wasn't a dance album, so he called it a rhythmic album. So this was an album without songs, without traditional song formats in the main, without vocals. And they said it had been fun not to have to bear in mind any radio pop song discipline at all. Bob Crowshaw engineered and mixed the album with them. He told Music Technology magazine at the time that he loved working on Relentless. And this is a quote, he said, because not having dominant vocal lines gives you a lot of space to experiment with the really brilliant instrumental lines they write. We ended up getting really mental with effects and things. And you can really hear that in the finished album. Some of it's quite manic, isn't it? Is that fair? Definitely, yeah. I mean, and it follows neatly on from Disco and Introspective in their series of six trackers that they're releasing. Yeah, I've definitely always seen it in the, the vein of those albums. And let's not forget, they've occasionally stepped away from the traditional pop song format all the way through their career. Both actually and behaviour open with 12-inch versions. One more chance and being boring. They're both extended mixes. Much of Electric messes with the conventional pop song format too. In many ways, Electric has more in common with Relentless or Introspective than any other album does in their catalogue. After release, the Relentless DJ promo went into the DJ chart as a whole album at the same time as Go West, so they were both in the chart at the same time, and apparently Neil and Chris were particularly pleased with that fact. So that's a whole album that charted in the DJ charts, which is pretty unusual. Definitely, yeah. I've been playing Relentless since this reissue announcement, and it's such a great album. It, it just doesn't sound dated in any way, which for essentially a, a 90s dance record, mm. or maybe a 90s rhythm record, yeah. that's incredible. I agree. It definitely sounds great still, you're right. And it's got a great title too. Now, I remember when it came out thinking that as well as describing the relentless nature of the music, the title was also maybe a nod to how prolific they clearly were. So we're so relentless. We've written, recorded not just one, but two albums and we're putting them out at the same time. I think they've always been rightly proud of how industrious they can be. I think they've both got a great work ethic. And not just in songwriting on this album, because both Very and Relentless were the first albums that Neil and Chris produced themselves. Mm -hmm. So Very also had Stephen Haig credited for additional production, but that's not the case for Relentless. And as a result of that, it's unique in the catalogue for that. You know, Even Release, which is their other self-produced album, had London on there, which was produced by Chris Zippel. Mm -hmm. So Relentless is the only Pet Shop Boys album entirely and only produced mm. by Pet Shop Boys themselves. And did you spot that the album's reverted from being low tenant to tenant low? Okay. I've, I've never thought of this as Neil's album, so I'm kind of interested why it's changed. You know, you, I mean, you figure that everything's sort of split 50-50 anyway, wouldn't you? 
I think what it is is that they basically just use Tenant Low all the time now as their generic writing credit. They used to switch it round for songs where Chris had done the greater share of work. So, for example, on the B-side of It's Alright, you've got One of the Crowd, which is credited to Low Tenant, while Your Funny Uncle, the Neil track, is Tenant Low. But at some point, maybe not long after Very Relentless came out, they standardised Tenant Low for all of their compositions, no matter what the balance of work was seem to remember reading that they thought that it sounded better <laughs> and of course tenant low is now the name that they use for all of the non-pop music projects isn't it like yeah. battleship potemkin yeah. uh, and the most incredible thing i remember when relentless came out they were already suggesting that even at that point that it could well be reissued as a mid-price album the following year maybe including some extra remixes of songs from very but as i think we said in episode two At the end of the very campaign, they looked at it again. They considered reissuing it in its own right with the tracks You're a Boy and some speculation. And they even got Danny Ramplin to do a mega mix of the Relentless tracks alongside Absolutely Fabulous and some of their other recent mixes. Obviously, that idea evolved into Disco 2 and You're a Boy and some speculation ended up as B-side tracks to Yesterday When I Was Mad. We've waited a long time for this reissue, basically. And then, when they originally reissued their albums back in 2001, they considered adding a third disc to the very reissue, so you'd have had Very, Relentless and the further listening disc, but they decided three discs was too much content. Although clearly they then overruled themselves 15 years (laughs) or so later when they came to the reissues of Nightlife, Release and Yes, they all had three discs. Relentless was quietly consigned to a life of relative obscurity until now. Yeah. I wonder how many people will be hearing this for the first time are going to suddenly discover this new album on their streaming services and think, I don't know anything about this. I can't imagine that there's too many, but it would be nice to think that some people are going to find this for the first time. What do you think of the new artwork? I think it looks great. So they've gone for something new, but that clearly takes its inspiration from the original. It's pixelated versions of the two Neil and Chris head icons, isn't it? The, The ones that were on the original very CD booklet packaging but on a black background rather than the purpley pink of the original Relentless CD sleeve or the white of the vinyl promo. The black background, I think, means echoes of alternative yes. in in that kind of design. Yeah, I thought that. I mean, there's definitely a nod to 90s computer games going on, isn't there? Which I guess was something of a theme which ran through the whole very campaign. Pet Shop Boys, part of this different world, mm. like characters in a computer game. Some of production on Very has got this computer game feel too, hasn't it? Definitely. I think that your tracks like Young Offender, that's an obvious one. Yeah. Watch how your fingers burn over the keys. Were you ever a gamer? I don't think I've ever quite thought of myself as a gamer, but when I was little, I remember my dad coming home with one of those first Atari consoles with the paddles. playing games like tennis with the bat and ball and space invaders and then in the early 80s i got an acorn electron computer do you remember those i do we had one of those i I think think. the the, the poor man's spectrum i think (laughs) (laughs) or a junior version of the bbc micro computer but i remember games like repton and citadel really absorbing games that i would map out i used to play for hours and then in the late 80s i got a commodore amiga so a whole 512 kilobytes of memory. The sound was brilliant, I remember that. And this is what I will have had at the time of Very Relentless coming out. So I can definitely relate to those pixelated avatars. 
I wasn't really ever a gamer, but I, I do appear in a video game. Okay. I'm actually in the PlayStation EA Sports Euro <laughs> 2000 game. Uh, you have to access this via a cheat code, but yes. uh, we are there. I used to play in a football team, and one of the players was responsible and worked on the programming team. Uh, yes. so he's, he sneaked you in he's, there. He sneaked us in, yeah. So <laughs> somewhere in the gaming world, I actually even exist as an 8-bit graphic wow. myself somewhere. Uh, you achieved what Neil and Chris always <laughs> threatened to do, particularly with a very campaign, but never quite managed you've been <laughs> absorbed by the matrix you're part of the metaverse <laughs> definitely i must say i did like the original fold out plastic bubble sleeve that very relentless came in yeah like the orange lego box it was also developed by pentagram mm -hmm. so not only have we got two great albums we've got two great sleeves as well and of course i guess three sleeves if you consider that they also used it for the I wouldn't normally do this kind of thing release as well. It's the same packaging, isn't it? Absolutely. And of course, the new release is available on limited yellow coloured vinyl too, mm -hmm. which is a nod, I guess, to the original 12-inch vinyl promo, which had yellow, blue and pink disc. Just one disc here, though, so you're going to have to be happy with yellow. <laughs> it's definitely a return to coloured vinyl, isn't there? You had the smash white vinyl, and now this. Everyone's doing it, everyone's doing coloured yeah. vinyl. It sounds much better now than it used to used to be. You could end up some really ropey pressings <laughs> on coloured vinyl. I was thinking what else they've released on coloured vinyl. So in the UK, both Release and Super came out on white vinyl. Sevida A, what colour do we think Sevida A would have been? probably would have been yellow, yeah, it was wouldn't on, it? That was on yellow, <laughs> a red letter day. <laughs> oh, this is a tricky one. <laughs> Red. Red. Um, Miracles was white vinyl. Minimal was a minimal clear vinyl. That was a seven inch. And of course, that amazing vinyl factory edition of Electric as well was coloured vinyl. We need a little mmm sample to play, don't we, every time we mention that. Uh, <laughs> or that a ooh. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> So we're happy that it's been released straight. I mean, it's six tracks. It's as it was exactly in 1993, maybe with a little bit of remastering. I think part of me wants that little bit of the extras, the outtakes. Mm. I guess it's difficult because any extra tracks from that period are already on the very further listening. Yeah. Uh, you know, which covers 1992 to 1994. Although there's a tantalising mention in the very further listening booklet mm. where Chris says, I was writing stuff knowing it wasn't going to be on Very, some of which became relentless. Though there's still some other tracks lying around, which I'm sure will never see the light of day. Ooh. Oh, could they? I wonder if they could perhaps re 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 release a very more further listening, <laughs> 1992 to 1994. I, I need to stop now. It's, it's all going a bit inception, I think. I do wonder though, you know, if one of the tracks that Chris has lying around might be one called Big Piano, mm. which is a demo from the very Relentless sessions. You can find it on YouTube. It sounds like it would have been an ideal fit on Relentless. Unsurprisingly enough given the title it features this really big house piano it's funny listening to it again i'd recommend anyone just go back and give it a listen parts of it are very reminiscent of kaputnik from this year's lost ep mm. and just even the idea of including some of those remixes from that period on a separate disc i guess that was done on disco too wasn't it so we don't even have the luxury of a few remixes knocking around that could make up an album yeah but, and i do hope that they're saving collating the remixes for another more ambitious wide 
reaching reissue project so maybe i don't know a disco further listening series encompassing all the key remixes <laughs> how, how many discs would that be well, well I, I think that it'd have to be a very carefully curated <laughs> wouldn't it i was also thinking as well about all those brilliant second discs that they've released so when neil appeared at the q a for his book launch at the manchester literature festival in 2019 he even mooted that these might one day get a release so i'm thinking of records like the bilingual special edition which came out in 1997 at the end of the bilingual campaign which included seven tracks so five remixes of bilingual tracks plus versions of somewhere and the boy who couldn't keep his clothes on and then the mix cd which accompanied pop art that had some of their favorite remixes on like the shep pettibone disco mix of what have i done to deserve this and this great new blank and jones remix of love comes quickly as well yeah it's great that mix isn't it you see i'm all about new stuff i've got all the old stuff <laughs> i just i can't overly get excited about the reissue stuff it's it's the new stuff that i want where does it end fundamentalism etc the elysium and hotspot instrumental cds well yeah i'm, I'm the same i agree but i do love their back catalogue so many opportunities do you think they're planning a special edition of the next album mm. Elysium and Hotspot, yeah, they had those instrumental CDs like you've just mentioned, which is great, but that's not quite as amazing as a new set of songs or remixes. Am I just being greedy? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh, well, I'm not apologising. I'm at the front of the queue if there's new stuff there. <laughs> Now, Relentless came out in 1993, but most of the writing for Very and Relentless was done in 1992. So I thought it'd be interesting to have a little think about what kind of music was influencing Neil and Chris at that time. And mm. luckily, we've got a fantastic, great reference point. In July 1992, they sat in for DJ Simon Bates for a week on his Radio 1 morning show, playing yeah. records and reading out faxes and giving shout-outs. Now, I remember they did the same, didn't they, in the year before, in 1991, they loved doing it. It was a great success. They had brilliant feedback and they were invited back for it in 1992. Yeah. The first half was always the golden hour where they played old records. But yeah. for the second hour, they essentially turned it into a rave and just played their favourite bang up to date records mixed by names we'd already associated with Pet Shop Boys and ones we soon would though. Brothers and Rhythm, Jam and Spoon, people like that. They even included 20 minute essential mixers where some of the hottest DJs of the day came in and mixed latest underground dance tracks. I loved the whole week and I needed no excuse to go back and listen to it again just to see if I could find some retrospective clues mm. to the inspirations of Relentless. It was pretty out there, wasn't it, to hear these incredible dance tracks being played at 10 o'clock in the morning on mainstream national radio <laughs> when people were more used to hearing Simon Bates play, I don't know, what, <laughs> Billy Ray Cyrus or Luther Vandross, Jimmy Nail. It sounded more like a pirate radio station. Yeah, there were some great stuff in the charts at the time. Snap were number one with Rhythm is a Dancer, Felix as Don't You Want Me is top ten. And these tracks feature heavily over the week, but interestingly, and certainly with the latter, they're playing different mixes, mm. much longer versions with significantly less vocals. Very relentless-like, if you'll mm. forgive the pun. Yeah, yeah. So some of my favourites from that week, I mean, just listen to this list. Age of Love, Age of Love, specifically the Jam and Spoon Watch Out for yeah. Stella mix. Good, Too Bad and Huglet, Espana. Uh, yeah. 
Urban Shakedown, Some Justice, Rachel Williams, Tell Me Why, which they played that record a lot. I think they played it every day. Okay. Uh, Liquid, Sweetheart. Yeah, I remember that well. Zero B, Lock Up, Digital Orgasm, Moog Eruption, and Baby June. Hey, what's your name? There's some great titles there, if nothing else, <laughs> isn't there? Fantastic. I think you're right. You can definitely hear the relentless DNA in those tracks, in the kind of disregard for structure. It's all about rhythms rather than songs, but they do still like those big kind of vocal house tunes as well, don't they? Absolutely. And towards the end of each broadcast, they'd then read out a club guide listing all the clubs that were on that mm. night. So names from the past like The Wag and The Fridge, SW1, Hacienda and Escape in Brighton. But you have to remember that this was going out on national radio in the morning. Yeah, yeah, you, yeah. you can't underestimate how amazing yeah. and, and divisive <laughs> it was. I know that Radio 1's all cool and urban now, but in 1993... Yeah, it, it wasn't it, cool and no, urban. It still had newsreaders yeah. wearing suits to read yeah, the news, yeah, yeah. you know. It, that sort of organisation that he was. Neil and Chris, they kind of come across as these two elder statesmen of dance, don't they? Yeah. The DJs that were doing those mega mixes for them, so the likes of Judge Jules, SL2, Sasha, I think that was the year before, Dave Seaman. They're all still fairly underground at this point. I think Dave Seaman was actually helping them get the records together as well, so they're mates with these people as well. These shows are just an absolute joy to listen to. Neil and Chris just sound to be having so much fun. I think Chris even managed to do a full week without swearing, which which wasn't the case, unfortunately, (laughs) in in, in 1991. Okay, back to Relentless. Let's go track by track. So, number one, My Head is Spinning. Yeah, so I think, as I said in episode two, I remember Pete Tong playing this as part of the Radio 1 day of promotion for uh, Very back when it came out. I think one thing that's interesting is it shares its title, and obviously the only lyric, with the opening line from Electronics Disappointed, which Neil Ronton sung on. Now my head is spinning at the back of my mind I think I'm winning. So my head is spinning is right there in the lyrics. And there's every chance maybe that he will have been working on the two tracks at a similar time so he must have been quite struck with that lyrical idea. So are we saying that my head is spinning is actually a dub mix of of electronics disappointed because <laughs> well, <not> so sure. <laughs> that is a mashup that we might need to hear <laughs> I love how it takes two minutes to build to that first lyrical bit yet you only have to wait about 45 seconds to get the first drop on the album and then you get another at about three minutes and the song doesn't even feel like it started at that point at four minutes you get that manic laughter kick in five minutes it suggests that it's going to end And then it just sets off again for another (laughs) relentless minute and a half. This track, in fact, the whole album, it really reminds me of Underworld's Dub No Bass with my head, man. It's got to be the similar time, isn't it? Yeah, well, that would have been January 94. Okay. So it's about, what, four months after Relentless. This track particularly feels like Dark Train, which is a a mix of dark and long. Yeah. And it just rumbles along and it just keeps going and building and building. I would imagine that both Relentless and Dub No Bass have got quite a lot of similar London rave techno club influences. Right, second up, Forever In Love. I guess one of the two more vocal tracks on the album. Yeah, Neil's vocal definitely makes this sound like a more typical Pet Shop Boys record, doesn't it? Yeah, in 1992, so the year before Very Relentless came out, they were actually considering releasing Go West as a one-off single, purely to keep up their yearly run of top ten singles. 
and this track Forever In Love was planned to be the B-side. That's the version that's on Very's further listening disc. That version's actually got more lyrics. It's got a whole extra first verse, which they removed when they reworked it for Relentless. In the further listening booklet, Neil says he's still embarrassed by the words in that verse. I don't know why. It yeah. sounds perfectly good to me. And thinking about it, that second verse about walking on a stormy night, oblivious to the rain, does that have shades of another electronic track maybe getting away with it and walking in the rain just to get wet on purpose so this is the getting away with it dub mix you know we're two tracks in and 30 years later we've discovered that this is a secret electronic <laughs> album <laughs> not sure about that but the take it from the top yep. sample i do know that that's from salt and peppers 1986 track my mic sounds nice good knowledge <laughs> It's a bit of a highlight, this track, isn't it? All those orchestral stabs. There's just so much going on, isn't there? I, I think it's one of the factors that makes it timeless. I mentioned the songs that they played on that Radio 1 residency, but for every age of love, there's half a dozen that do sound dated. Mm. You know, and I think that's largely down to production and Pet Shop Boys having the luxury of a 48-track recording studio as opposed to recording with an mm. 808 drum machine and a four-track recorder in their bedroom. KDX125... That brings side one of the vinyl album to a close. I guess it's the album's only true instrumental. Named not after a Yamaha synth or some designer drug, but actually after the motorbike which Chris owned at the time, which was a Kawasaki KDX125. I think the fact he owned a motorbike surprised us all at the time. <laughs> Especially a dirt bike. Right, that. yeah, yeah. Wikipedia tells me a top speed of 64 miles per hour, and I assume the bike noise on the track is from a sound effects disc rather than being an actual sample. I suspect it makes for great riding music. Have you ever owned a motorbike, Graham? <laughs> no, I think motorbikes passed me by. I think my bike riding was limited to when my mate Dave gave me a backer on the back of his moped. Yes. I think that was a Kawasaki, though, okay. no, but, but an AR50 rather than a KDX125. <laughs> AR50 doesn't quite really sound like a cool sort no. of dance record, does no, it? No, it needs that X in it, I think. Yeah, it's more like a Rolling Stones sort of greatest <laughs> hits album. Are you known for dressing up in your... Your biker leathers. <laughs> no, but I do remember, for some reason, being taught how to ride a motorbike when I was at school. All the boys were. It's just what we did. I can't remember which year it was. All the boys were, not the girls. No, no, not just, the girls. No, it's different times. Isn't it? I know. It seems crazy, doesn't it? I've no idea why or what the lesson was. I did like it though. I suspect that's not on the curriculum today. I would secretly though quite like a motorbike, maybe a scooter, maybe an electric scooter. Not quite the same though. No, no. Maybe not quite, no. So next up is We Came From Out of Space, which is the first track on side two. Yeah. Or the fourth track of six, depending on how you're listening to it. And it's another high point for me, admittedly, on an album of high points. There's a lot going on here, isn't yeah, there? Yeah, yeah. Sort of samples from what sounds like sci-fi film, mm. vocal samples from Chris, something's not right, I can't work it out, and don't leave me, I love you. Even when they're burying lyrics deep in the mix, they're still so sad and poignant. It's basically aliens meets gender confusion, isn't it? <laughs> it's very David Bowie territory here. There's a fantastic blog post which was written just this year from someone called Hypergamma Spaces that really goes into in-depth on this track. Fascinating analysis. He's managed to decode quite a lot of the track's hidden dialogue and his reading is that in this song, extraterrestrials have messaged Earth in search of their parents. They're struggling with the communication systems. They're completely baffled by planet Earth's no of having just two binary genders you can quite clearly hear one of the aliens asking 
do you know the difference between the two genders? And because they're struggling with this idea of just two genders, there's a real breakdown in communication. I think this reading really fits, and that's a completely Pet Shop Boys thing as well, not wanting to be pigeonholed by something as mundane as sexuality. And of course, this is one of the greatest, maybe lesser-known Chris tracks. Definitely, yeah, I I love that track. So track five is The Man Who Has Everything. Neil doesn't pop up until the end on here, and when he does, he, he gives us the line, What do you give when the man who has everything needs such a lot? He could be one of those compelling characters that we've talked about that Neil's so fond of documenting and discussing. But of course, the one thing he doesn't have is love, which is how it ends. For The Man Who Has Everything was also the name of a famous 1985 Superman comic story. And we know Neil has comics in his past, so perhaps he dipped back into that for some inspiration? I'm not sure about that. My theory was that it was inspired maybe by the advertising slogan, which has been around for decades, so that what do you buy the man who has everything? Well, I guess you could start with a 30th anniversary bundle of Relentless, a, a CD, vinyl and T-shirt should keep him happy. <laughs> that ending, it just makes me think it's like some kind of short poem that they've set to music. I think it's the only Relentless track that they've ever performed live. So it popped up in the Savoy Theatre set list in 97, again at Creamfields in 1999. Ooh, that's a good spot, that, yeah. And then finally... We get to one thing leads to another. Probably the closest thing the album's got to a proper mm, song. Yeah. You know, it's a bit like that etc. disc of yes, isn't it? You know, with the Phil O'Key, this used to be the future track. Proper song nestled next to an album full of dance tracks. Mm, mm. I do wonder why they can't fully commit to an all-out <laughs> dance album, though. It's like, right, we better put a proper song in here. I, I think it's still got a dance track at its yes. heart. Now, do you remember kind of going through the lyric and trying to work out the story? <laughs> well, I mean, it came out pre-internet, didn't it? Yeah. And Very Relentless doesn't have a lyric sheet, so it's a bit of a faff to work out what it was all about. You have to kind of play it a few times and pause it and mm. try and maybe scribble out some notes on a side <laughs> of it. For... It's actually quite a sad story, really, isn't it? Yeah. You know, I've got a synopsis here. Yes. Uh, so the man in the song, he, he splits up with his partner, mm. loses his job, yeah. starts drinking, yeah. picks up a woman in a club, yeah. finds out that when they get back to her house that they're actually a man. He drives off, speeds to avoid a policeman, yeah. crashes and ends up in a coma. And then a doctor pronounces him dead. Uh, it's not the best day. Eh? <laughs> no, like we've said before, you don't get that with Harry Styles lyrics. <laughs> and of course, it's another Neil rap, isn't it? It's like Western Girls yeah. in that sense. As I mentioned before, there's a demo on YouTube with the lyrics the correct way around, so that must have been how the song was originally intended to be, which is cool, but maybe not quite as interesting (laughs) as having it in reverse. Wayne Studer on his brilliant site geowayne.com calls out that the backing beat, of course, is the Amen break, which is one of the most sampled drum breaks of all time, the original being from the Winston's track Amen Brother. And, of course, they use that same drum break on Hey Headmaster as well. I thought that was a really good spot. No, that is definitely a good spot, yeah. I mean, every day is a school day, isn't it? It has been great to have another excuse to listen to it over the last few weeks, though, and to delve a little deeper under the surface. It definitely stands up on its own as a great album in its own right. I've got slightly carried away, Graham. Uh, I was remembering that potential surprise live event, the one that they trailed back in annually at the beginning of the year. What about a one-off live gig to launch Relentless? The whole album in a club setting. Is that a dream too far? For early 90s Pet Shop Boys, we'd have to time travel back to heaven or to the Mm. Hacienda, wouldn't it? But but maybe failing that, maybe Manchester's Warehouse Project. Yeah, I can imagine that. Or even the new... London drum sheds could stage that gig for okay. us. Even though, to be honest, any old dingy club would do, wouldn't it? It would. They could even play our podcast shed if they wanted to <laughs> as well, couldn't they? 
So we hadn't actually planned to produce an episode dedicated to Relentless, but now that we have, it seems an ideal time for some speculation about the new album, given that it's likely to be the next major Pet Shop Boys release. Though, given the Relentless surprise release, I guess anything could happen. Yeah, so if you're up for it, I'd love to piece together some of the bits of info that have been dropped over the last few years about the next album. Yep, definitely. So to do that, you've got to start by rewinding all the way back to the release of Hotspot at the beginning of 2020. So in annually, Chris described Hotspot as being a transitioning album in that it had elements of electric and elements of super, but it was also moving towards where they might be going next, something more reflective maybe. Neil backed this up by revealing that Burning the Heather was supposed to be the key track for the next album but they liked it so much that they ended up recording it for Hotspot instead. So you think that Burning the Heather is the closest thing yeah. that we've got to a sense of what the new album might sound like. Yeah. So what, reflective, autumnal maybe, real instrument, mm-hmm. maybe a little bit of electronica, the return of an acoustic guitar. Possibly. Introspective lyrics about loneliness <laughs> and isolation. Might we even see some more guest appearances from Bernard Butler who mm-hmm. played on Burning the Heather or the return of Johnny Marr. Of course, the main thing that's happened since Hotspot was almost immediately as the album came out, there was the onset of the global pandemic, wasn't there? Yes. Which I guess put a different slant on the Hotspot title itself. And we've got to expect that, like it or not, the pandemic's going to have had at least some kind of influence on the new album. This is just inevitable, isn't it? Neil seemed to spend most of lockdown taking photographs of trees. (laughs) Chris took coastal walks, seemed to spend a lot of time with his mum. And for the first time in what no doubt would have been years and years, they had this time to stop and reflect like we all did yeah you, know, you, you hope that's got to have been a major influence on the kind of things that they were writing so perhaps pastoral might be a theme might even be a title i'd be happy with that that's uh, i like the idea of pastoral pet shop boys plus they will have spent more time collaborating while apart maybe mm. like we all did through work you were on teams you were finding new ways to connect and collaborate quite amazing given they'll have spent so many years working in the same room together in 2021 neil described how during the lockdowns they wrote a lot of songs by sending things backward and forward between them and even at that point just you know only a year since hotspot they already had about 15 songs written recorded and mixed he said there were lots of different styles one about the soviet ballet dancer rudolf nuriev one with the very lockdown title of living in a lonely time which chris described as sounding like gilbert o'sullivan might those two songs make the album we know from annually that Neil learnt to use GarageBand during lockdown, which he described as his new hobby, and he bought a £70 keyboard from Amazon. So no doubt that will have added a new angle to their songwriting. And we know that in recent years, they've established another new alternative pattern to songwriting as well, where Neil sometimes writes the lyrics first and then Chris puts them to music. And Burning the Heather is an example of them doing just that. We should also think about Cricket Wife, which is pretty much the only new Pet Shop Boys composition which has emerged during the pandemic. This is where Chris sent Neil a piece of music he'd written at his mum's request in a classical style, and Neil neatly dropped a poem he'd written over the top. I guess, again, that's quite a different way of them working together. Quite often these one-offs, so I'm thinking of the Agenda EP, Cricket Wife, uh, the Lost EP, they put out almost as 
palette cleansers, aren't they, ahead of any new album? And I think what that kind of says is these are great songs, but the new album's going to be different to this, so we don't need to hold them back. We'll put them out now so they can exist in their own right. So maybe Cricket Wife is a bit of a red herring mm. in that regard. I see Neil set to play both Cricket Wife and Legacy live with Sven Helbig and an orchestra in Berlin next month. That'll be quite uh, something I'm sure yeah that's gonna be fascinating isn't it I hope there's some uh, audio released of that in this year's annually they said that the new album would draw upon what they called a large catalogue of songs they'd written at the height of the pandemic in 2020 and 2021 Neil described it as very song based less dancey with lots of lyrics Chris described it as quite eclectic And then finally, we had a few snippets in this summer's Classic Pop magazine. They told Classic Pop that the new record is very tuneful, less super electronic sounding. Strings will be returning. It's more autobiographical looking back. We've had a few studio updates too. Yeah. They began recording it on the 14th of March with, of course, a new producer, James Ford. They shared that photo of all that wonderful equipment, particularly those old analogue synthesizers from what looked like James's home studio. A couple of guitars sneaked into shot as well for all those release fans. (laughs) There's a brilliant YouTube clip, I don't know if you've seen it, from the fan John Synth, possibly not his real name. (laughs) (laughs) Um, We'll share that link on our socials, but he's gone through and analysed all the equipment in the photograph and recreated the sounds that those instruments uh, make. It's an amazing piece of work. Oh, it's brilliant. Obviously, we don't know whether or not they've used any of that equipment. That's but, right. You know, I'm definitely holding out for hearing that hammer dulcimer, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or is it another red herring? It was just a picture <laughs> of a whole load of uh, equipment to put us off the scent. <laughs> we talked about James Ford, of course, in an earlier podcast. Obviously, he's a really impressive CV. Uh, he's produced the likes of Arctic Monkeys, Depeche Mode, Falls, Grillers, Jesse Ware, and he's half of the brilliant Simeon Mobile Disco as well. But 2023 has been quite the year for him already. He produced Depeche Mode's Memento Mori, the first album as a duo. I love the single ghosts again that's one of my favorite of the year he produced six tracks on the latest jesse ware album and then he was also revealed as the producer of the surprise blur album as well yeah that came from nowhere didn't it yeah and he's particularly good plus he even found time to put out his own solo album the hum on what records the pioneering experimental label i don't know if you've heard it i have yes eclectic is that fair (laughs) i think that's definitely fair to say yeah (laughs) although i have to say there's a track on there called pillow village Mm. and I think that that could quite easily have closed Hotspot. If you had a Neil vocal on top okay. of there, it's almost there. But I mean, like you say, it's very eclectic. It's very out there. Maybe that's his palate cleanser after a year of producing all these bands. Yeah, yeah. Shades of Brian Eno, I thought. Lo-fi pop, maybe a bit Beckish, that kind of thing. Yes, definitely. And they were only a few days into recording when they posted a second update on social media. They'd obviously sampled Neil's voice and then programmed the harmonies needed to sing the choral work Miseri by Gregorio Allegra. Yeah, the Neilatron is back, isn't it? <laughs> yes. so, so this was the process they'd invented when they recorded Fundamental, where they'd layer up samples of Neil's voice to build up this whole choir of Neils. Uh, they christened it the Neilatron. You can hear it to brilliant effect on songs like God Willing on Fundamental. And by mid-April, they were pictured recording brass and then strings. It's a long time since they've had brass and strings on a Pet Shop Boys album. Yeah. It'll be back to Elysium in 2012. Yeah, I think so. Right, Graham, that's it for research. But <laughs> let's summarise what we've learned. So we can reason that the new album will be very song-based, 
with lots of lyrics, autobiographical, reflective, using analog synths, maybe some guitar. So which album does that sound like? Mm. Maybe Behaviour? <laughs> Maybe Behaviour. Maybe. I think you might be onto something there. That anything that isn't bangers and lasers is always described as behaviour, isn't it? <laughs> to add to your list, it's also going to be very tuneful, less dancey, less electronic, eclectic, with strings, brass, and maybe even the return of the Neelatron. So maybe like Elysium? Or fundamental? So we're potentially looking at behaviour crossed with Elysium, unfundamental, and even a bit of release if those guitars get an outing. With songs inspired by the pandemic and Russian ballerinas, all recorded by Neil on GarageBand. <laughs> I guess, you know, the only thing we can be completely sure of is that it's likely to sound quite a bit different from the last three Stuart Price produced albums. And of course, it'll be another unique and compelling entry into their discography. I agree. Roll on 2024. Right, to finish, Graham, sticking with the new album, I thought I'd throw out some random ideas about what might be coming our way just to get your reaction. Okay. You ready? Yeah, I'm ready. Right. What if Pet Shop Boys adopted a new strategy for releasing singles? So like many acts do these days, you don't have one single and then the album, then another single, then another single. But what if they drop five songs over the next six months before the album finally appears? So, for example, that's what Noel Gallagher's just done pretty much. See, I've been thinking about this and the whole release schedule and strategy and so on. And this is where the release of Relentless seems a little odd. Mm. I think I was probably more expecting an October, November single for a new album, not a 30-year-old reissue. (laughs) I think I'd got my idea that it was going to be a February, March album release, Mm. maybe get another. November single, second single at the start of January. I wonder if things have gone a little bit into flux with the addition of the South American Dream World Tour. I can't see this album campaign now starting until February at Mm. the earliest, but maybe we're already in a six-month album cycle, except that instead of starting with a cool new single, we've got a 30-year-old release that enables all us kind of sad fans to remind everybody that they're still the coolest band around, and Relentless is proof of that. You might be right. Relentless might be the start of the campaign. What if they didn't release any singles at all from the new album? What if this was a standalone piece of work? Just the album. Very prog rock. (laughs) Well, I think that's probably unlikely, and as we discussed in season one, they've already done prog rock with introspective, (laughs) and we we won't be proved proved wrong on that. (laughs) What if, in a similar vein, what if it was a double album? Stop it. (laughs) <laughs> I'm not sure I could cope with that I'm not, I've never considered the idea that they would have a double album well you know it, maybe it's what their catalogue needs it's something they've never done it would take us by surprise they've clearly been writing lots of stuff can you imagine it twice the number of songs and you potentially get a gatefold vinyl <laughs> album sleeve as well have they done that before I think Elysium is gatefold but yeah you would get those uh, two records wouldn't you let's just mentally put it to one side <laughs> this idea of a double album what if it included a collaboration so like Dusty on Actually Kylie on Nightlife Example on Electric or Ollie on Hotspot who might find their way onto the new album I think this is actually quite likely isn't it I mean they do like a collaboration but imagine if it was somebody like Taylor Swift or Olivia (laughs) Rodrigo finally this podcast would have some credibility with my children (laughs) and imagine the potential of all those extra podcast listeners as well 
I'm guessing that Drake collab might be out of the question, though. Yeah, he might have just blotted his copybook there, mightn't he? Uh, Cardi B, though, so she's been out as a Pet Shop Boys fan yeah. for some time. Her favourite song's Rent, apparently, so they might have more luck there. Yeah. Closer to home, what about Tracy Thorne? Yeah. Tracy Thorne from Everything But The Girl. They've mooted working together in recent years. Two tracks on Tracy's 2018 solo album were inspired by tenant low composition so the song face was inspired by so sorry i said uh, from the liza album and dance floor the final track was inspired by vocal the final track on electric and of course tracy's previously covered king's cross as well the love is mutual neil's a big fan of her voice yeah i think that's quite a good show and i could definitely see that happening and i guess they have a bit of a shared like of dance music as well yeah. there's a sort of similar theme to both those albums isn't there so yeah no, i could see that happening a lot. i'd love to hear both her voices on the same track what if they broke the habit of a lifetime and gave the album a multi-word title? <laughs> what, what, like in depth? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, that's not a proper album, is it? Well, but, it's, it might be due for a re-release at some point. <laughs> <laughs> now, they do have some kind of history with this, so Bilingual was almost called That's The Way Life Is. Even the pre-release copies right. went out with that title. Release was almost called Never Anyone But You. Sweet. Yeah. But I think the world might have spun off its axis if they'd gone through with that. I think there's probably more chance of Taylor or Olivia <laughs> appearing on it than a two-word title, <laughs> I would say. <laughs> but if they wanted to signal that this is something new and yeah. different, definitely a weapon that they could deploy. Here's another. What if the sleeve wasn't designed by Farrow? Oh, I can't believe that's going to happen. They did it once, didn't they, with release, yep. with Greg Foley. Yeah. But I can't see them doing that again. It, it would be nice if they commission a new font, though. I'm all up for a new <laughs> font. I do, I do like a new font. I, I did have an idea on this, which is the artist Jeremy Deller. Yeah. He seems to be increasingly kind of in their orbit. He's a fan. Apparently, he's written the introduction to Volume, which is the update to the catalogue book that's currently scheduled to come out in April. He's produced work inspired by pop music, so the likes of the KLF, Depeche Mode. He's even done a limited artwork for Pet Shop Boys within yes. recent months as well. I think it'd be a great choice. Finally, Graham, last one. What if, brace yourself, the new album came packaged with a second album? Ooh. So, what <laughs> if the new album came packaged with Relentless 2? Ooh, <laughs> that'd be good, wouldn't it? <laughs> Though, I've just had a terrible thought. Gone. You know that I'm a little bit older than you. Yes, I do know that. I'll be in my 80s by the time they get round to re releasing that one. (laughs) Pet Shop Boys in Depth is an independent podcast written and produced by Sykes Payne for F19 Media with music from Paul Jackson. Each episode we're going to call out and thank some of our supporters who've helped us to cover recording and hosting costs. So, huge thanks to Lee Richards, Alison McCallum, Peter Hewlett and John Topler. Follow us on Twitter at Pod, or follow our Facebook page for extra content and to be the first to hear about new episodes. You can help keep these podcasts ad-free by buying one of our exclusive in-depth podcast t-shirts. You'll find all the links in the podcast information or on our socials. And if you haven't already, please hit follow or subscribe and we'd love it if you wrote us a review.